Welcome to the future of gaming. The FogDAO is a group of builders and investors bringing you the best content on how new technologies can be used to make better games. Enjoy the show. GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly FogCast. We are recording this where I am in the morning of the 15th of November. We've got the usual crew, Philip Collins, Devin Becker, and myself, Nico Vreke. And holy crap, what a week it has been. I go to Spain for a week and essentially everything collapses. I'm away from my normal station, workstation, and everything gets screwed over. If the XL collapses, um, Sam Bankman Freed is an exposed, exposed fraud. He used to be the golden child of crypto, no, no longer. Um, and so question on my mind today, which I'd like to discuss with you guys, is what are the implications of all of this for the future of gaming, for Web3 gaming as a whole? Um, a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, maybe let's start with some context. So... Um, yeah, who wants to give this a go? Devin, you want to you wanna start with like the, the back, background story here? Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of funny because while obviously there was a lot of shady stuff going on, this kind of started via a broadside from, um, from Binance, you know, from CZ. I mean, there was some other stuff going around, right? Like there was some other, like I think some balance sheet related stuff, um, some rumors and whatnot. But basically once uh, CZ was like, uh, you know, we, we've been hearing, you know, some, some uh, smack talk essentially coming out of FTX. They didn't say FTX. I think they kind of implied FTX, and uh, and basically were like. And then the next, you know, next time was basically okay. We're gonna sell our our FTT tokens and dump all that. And that pretty much just started the ball rolling and caused the uh, the bank run essentially. And so as everyone was pulling out, then then liquidity problems hit, uh, and that pretty much just took it tore it down from there because it turned out they didn't really have the liquidity that they were claiming to have. Um, they had way too much stuff intermingled with Alameda research. Uh, and so because of that, it was really just kind of, you know, it turned out kind of, I guess, what you see a lot in this space, which is basically him taking funds that were customer funds and using them to invest, which is, I mean, typical bank behavior in a way, but in a way that was shadily done uh, and just got exposed. Um, I There's there's always kind of like, you know, was CZ doing it on purpose? Hard to say. Like, he's like, oh, this is bad for everyone, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, I think he was kind of like, you know, one of those save face kind of things. You don't talk bad about us behind our backs to investors, I'll show you and just basically crash their entire, you know, toppled the Jenga tower with just a couple tweets. Uh, and that's all it takes in this space if you really don't have like a solid, you know, house of cards being built in. It's not a surprise mm -hmm. and I hope this is the last for a while because after Luna and this, like we could take a break from these huge, uh, but I just think it's funny because like uh, crypto was started as a result, as a response to, to 2008 crisis. And yet we keep having our Lehman Brothers moments with crypto. And it's like, so obviously maybe we should still avoid the centralized ones and maybe mm -hmm. go with DEXs, huh? maybe. Yeah. So context, a bit more context here, because I think that's also relevant. So SBF, Sam Backman-Fried, young dude, curly hair. Um, he founded Alameda Research, which was a kind of a hedge fund initially, a, trading, a hedge fund trading firm. Um, they were making lots of money, but as more professional hedge funds entered the space, they were making less and less money. That's when he decided to um, start his own exchange called FTX. Because FTX, like four years ago, it like didn't exist, maybe even, or it just started. I, I like it. It came up pretty fast, only pretty recently. 
Um, and Alameda turned also into kind of a market maker and a liquidity provider. And so that, essentially that, what that means... because their arbitrage system wasn't working anymore, essentially, that they made the yeah, initial exactly. money from. Yeah. So they had to find other ways to make money. And so, you know, there's a lot of rumors about exactly why they did what they did. Because what ended up happening was that um, Alameda was using um, funds from users on on FTX. So, you know, I put a thousand bucks on FTX and FTX would say, hey, Alameda, here, I'll give you, um, here, have 500 bucks of Nico's money and invest it so you can turn it into a thousand bucks and then we just made 500 bucks profit. That was essentially what was going on. And, you know, it was, there was some very fishy stuff going on because um, what was Alameda was doing was Alameda was giving FTT in return for like, as, as the reserve currency to take loans out. But FTT is the native token of FTX, which when things go bad, they go really bad because, you know, you're taking loans out against an asset. But if that asset devalues, you know, you're supposedly, you can't take it out at that many loans, but then the risk of the exchange and the risk of that underlying asset were linked together, which is dangerous, all very illegal. Um, and so essentially, theoretically, exchanges should have a one-to-one reserve, which means that if I put $1 on the exchange, they should have $1 in liquidity. And so initially, the problem was that there was a kind of um, liquidity problem. So there were liquidity issues. So, you know, of the X billions, they only had maybe 70% of X uh, liquid. So if people started withdrawing really fast, they had some liquidity problems. But that turned out to be not really the issue because they had insolvency problems, which means that they, it's it was not like... They just didn't have the money. It's not that it was stuck in something in, in an illiquid asset. Um, and so, you know, there was a bank run last Sunday, I believe. And yeah, um, FTX got in trouble and they're insolvent. 140 different companies are insolvent, which, by the way, I saw a graph about the whole structure behind what Sam Bankman Fried was doing. And it's like probably three times as complex as what um, the Lehman Brothers were doing with all of their Yeah, it's shady- a hell of a shell game. Holy shit, man! The Bahamas. If you wanna, if you wanna play a game of um, Lego with different bricks and different entities, that's that's where you go. Um, anyway, what we're gonna see now, and what we're seeing now, is a big fallout, right? Um, we saw some games, and that's what we can get into, right? I want to, I want to dig into what this means for the blockchain gaming world. Um, I, I would say immediate result is companies, projects that had their treasuries stored on FTX, of the, which there were a few. Um, Star Atlas probably the biggest one in trouble, right? You, um, We can go into that specific case um, later. So that's that's the initial fallout. But over the next weeks and months, because I think this the fallout will take long, because, you know, this, Alameda lost a lot of money on the Luna story. And so I think, like, maybe directly, maybe indirectly, I don't know the details, but this might have resulted, like, if Alameda would have been making a lot of money, then I think we wouldn't have this problem, right? They were actually, you know, losing money which led to the hole that can't be filled the insolvency that we see today and so um i think this all is a consequence of the whole luna debacle and so which means that in six months from now we might still have consequences from this which are consequences from luna and so this might be a a long drawn out thing um unfortunately okay so that was that was some more context phil tell me man man it's crazy um i I mean i think the, we can we can go more into the implications on gaming. I think blockchain as a whole is the the obvious place to start with this, and this is a this is a space we've all been dealing with that you know, most people still don't trust in general. And I think that unfortunately this is just going to slow down 
the adoption and, and the trust from from people that were already skeptics. It's kind of a great um, it's, it's a great proof point of people that were already a little bit sitting on the fence saying, yeah, like, see, it's, it's stupid. It's stupid. Um, and so I think a lot of people are going to point to this as validation for their skepticism. And, um, you know, that's, that's naturally going to happen. I think, you know, there's, there's no really great way to overcome that right now. Um, you know, even to, to Devin's point earlier on, uh, this is why people wanted decentralization at the beginning. This is also going to push regulators to want everything to be more centralized in general, because they think centralization will inevitably fix the type of behavior that we've seen across FTX and Alameda. Um, and so, I mean, I think it is a, I think it is a pretty su substantial headwind moving forward, not, you know, insurmountable, uh, as long as other players, uh, can, can find a way to do this more sustainably and are hopefully acting more responsibly behind their, their kind of private market veil that they're able to put in front of themselves. But I mean, definitely, definitely a slowdown on the consumer adoption and definitely, a a bolster for the regulators that are wanting to kind of tight fist this, uh, the space. Mm -hmm. It's funny too, because banks have to have like the one to 10, like ratio for their reserves yet, yet even a one to one can't be managed seemingly by these people. Cause there's no like FDIC insurance or other things to help protect against bank insolvency and stuff like that. And so if we start to move into the regulatory space, then we need to look at, okay, wait, what works okay for banks, which is basically having sort of some sort of backstop and, you know, some proper auditing and things like that. Obviously, you know, we have that, that question of like stable coins, right? Like is Tether being audited and all these other sort of lack of transparency issues, which is funny because the decentralized exchanges are obviously fully transparent because they're on chain. And so it's the centralized ones where we have people doing stuff off chain and lacking that transparency that you run into problems because with the on-chain stuff, I feel like we have so many internet detectives out there just spending all day on Reddit that like if there's a whiff of something, like they'll find it quick, you know, whether that Reddit or 4chan or whoever like just pounces on that. And that helps keep like the decentralized stuff pretty legit. And like, obviously when there's problems, people can then also go crazy on it and, and break it faster. But I think this again continues to just prove why the centralized model is problematic for anything but centralized finance. And then it, it becomes those one of those things where it's like, well, if it's going to be centralized, it probably needs to be regulated and part of like government infrastructure and all that crap is unfortunately but then we still need the decentralized stuff and we need to stop trying to intermingle the two because this is what happens is because you have because the because the kind of stuff he was doing was traditional scummy finance stuff it wasn't like some brand new web3 thing but it was like an extra layer of scum because he was creating money out of thin air with the ftt tokens essentially and using those to back it up but it's not not terribly different from a lot of the the you know, sneaky stuff that's happened in finance over the years because of that lack of transparency. So I think it's a pretty clear split we're going to have here. You got the regulated side that's going to be the centralized side, and you've got the decentralized side that's maybe not regulated, but fully transparent. And I think it's kind of inevitable we end up in that, we're, we're kind of at that fork in the road, right? Where like the, the number of times this can happen before people step in and, and change this, this sort of path. Like, I, I personally don't think it's going to be that huge of a, of a nuclear bomb in uh in crypto like for me it's more just like sweet like 50 percent off discounts on everything like that's how i felt when luna crashed right and i was like cool shopping spree like what can i buy cheap now i'm like solana's not doing great cool what what what, what nfts do i not have on solana that i'm looking to pick up like i feel a little bit bad because i'm picking them up at a discount that doesn't help the game but you know it's an opportunity where like i think they were kind of overvalued before so I'm just like hey, you know, grab some stuff that uh i wouldn't have otherwise and 
and that's me, you know, helping rebuild, right? You know, by, by funding their, their uh, recovery. Yeah. I mean, it is the great irony, though, that, you know, to your point, the, the decentralization is, is what could potentially protect from things like this moving forward. But I think people view things like FTX as inherently decentralized, right? Because it's crypto and it's blockchain. And so the people that are already skeptical are, are thinking this is decentralized. Oh um, and so they're going to try to solve that problem that isn't necessarily the direct problem that's being faced right now. I do think the, the thing for crypto and we, when we compare it to, to Lehman Brothers is there's no bailout waiting for crypto um, because it's not really big enough for Thank the God. regulators to care I'm about. I'm tired of um, taxpayers so, paying that. Yeah. So there's that, that bailout's not waiting for these for these players. So hopefully it's kind of a wake up call for people to, you know, act a little bit more by the book. And I mean, it, even if ethical because of uh, self-interest, um, like that, if, if you if you fall, no one's no one's there to pick you up. And I think that's the reality that we are we are now seeing. And now that the first really big domino and the really big uh, the first big consumer brand has kind of fallen. Hopefully that's a, a good wake up call to the even the coin bases of the world that are, I mean, obviously public company is different, different reporting standards, but the other brand names, um, mm -hmm. this this can happen to anyone if you allow it to. Yeah. I'm curious if it'll even touch FTX US that much because like there's supposedly a lot of separation and a lot of stuff that won't be affected in theory, but I don't know if it'll be just a delayed reaction, but I'm really, I'm really I mean, curious to see that because like supposedly a lot was separated and it does matter because FTX US is the one that picked up a game company, for example, uh, the storybook for all developers. And so it's like, you know, are they going to be in a, in a crap position because FTX US falls as well? Or is it just like, oh, maybe it's just a chance for, for them to kind of come out of it unless they're all their, you know, their treasury was in FTT token, in which case they're screwed. Um, as far as I understand, I think there was little difference between FTX and FTX US as in there was a difference from a legal point of view, but it feels like well, the infrastructure was similar. And so, you know, this is something we haven't touched upon, but um, funds were being drained. There was like this Bahamian, like there's a lot of shit going on in the past week, right? And we'll probably see more of that. But essentially what was happening is this is, this is, this is really bad. So, you know, there was a hole in FTX, as in they supposedly owed, let's say, easy numbers. They owed their customers 10 billion and they only had like 5 billion on the exchange yep. in, in liquidities. Um, it's less than that. Both numbers are lower, but, um, that's just to, to do, um, easy math, you know, and, and then what happened was then suddenly people started extracting, um, funds from the FTX gold wallets or wallets and people hack, were like, right. what, what the hell is happening? So there's potentially a hack, but what could also be happening is there was this supposedly Bahamian loophole. So in the Bahamas, the Bahamas forces local exchanges to allow Bahamian residents to withdraw, like FTX can't. Uh, disallow withdrawals from a Bahamian resident or something like that. And so <laughs> super rich people that had millions on FTX were basically bribing FTX employees to, in the database, change your nationality to Bahamian to then be able to withdraw their funds. So that was what was happening. And so they were paying like $100,000 to FTX employees to do that. Um, and then they would withdraw and withdraw. Now, um, a few days ago, a statement from the Bahamian regulator came out that it doesn't exist and it never told FTX to do that. So this was all, man, this this is a shit show. And so wow. it's going to take a while for this to, to work out. My point being that I think the hole that FTX had is, I think the, the portions are similar for FTX US. I don't think if you're on FTX US that you're safer than on FTX Global. 
um, I think you're both in trouble. I think, you know, if I'm an investor and I have my money on FTX, I'm writing that down to zero, everything that's still on there that I couldn't get out. If I'm a personal, um, like if I'm an individual, I would probably don't write it down to zero because, you know, but it's, I like, I think 20% may be helpful. I don't know. Um, like would love to, to get your thoughts on this, but, um, and, and, and zero is, is realistic. So, um, in trouble. Um, and yeah, let's, let's go into the, uh, what you said about games companies having their treasuries on FTX. So here, it seems to me like <clears throat> there's a big difference between web 2.5 and sorry, <clears throat> web 3.0, um, gaming companies. So very broadly, these are generally two types of companies that I see. One is the the DGENs who are more crypto native that are building games um, with crypto. And then the other one are more games natives that are using blockchain technology to do cool shit. And so in many cases, the the crypto natives, they have either like a treasury that is a multi-sig um, or like a, a Gnosis wallets and that, that either like people can vote on, etc. And so all of that is on chain, so is is decentralized and is is safe, right? And so the only way that can be hacked is if the mechanisms governing the treasury um, are essentially abused. And I think there, there's a few examples we've seen about, around that. But a lot of the Web 2.5 gaming companies, which is you know, oh, we're we're a games team, right? But we don't want to be in charge of our own keys, right? <laughs> we don't want to do that. We're going to trust centralized solution for that because you know why would we do this we're games builders right um and so you know a lot of teams that are this way um you know notably star atlas decided well they kept their their funds on, on centralized exchanges and some of them had the bad luck to have their funds on um on ftx and that is pretty troublesome because you know that's money gone star atlas i saw um had their runway cut from Either was it like thirty to sixteen months or sixteen to eight months? I'm I'm not sure, but it, it's something in that um, or, um, order of magnitude. Um, I've seen other ch uh, smaller teams do like you know distressed raises, right? Where they're like, look, we're gonna do a round, um, and our because our runway was already short, but now our runway is even shorter, and so we just need like to fund the next months, um, which is pretty good if you're an investor with money still pretty bad in general because i feel shitty um like we don't necessarily take advantage of, of that um although it's you're helping the company i guess but um yeah so i think we're gonna see a lot more of this in the next um next months and so for me that's the 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 one immediate fallout from this it is teams that we're having their funds on centralized exchanges especially specifically ftx and potentially some of the other exchanges that might be impacted by this because we haven't even talked about other exchanges that are now doing proof of reserves and essentially like giving each other crypto to have like good looking proof of reserves. So I think, you know, this, the fallout of this might be very, very significant. Um, anyway, so direct consequence is games companies, specifically the web 2.5 teams that were trusting centralized exchanges with their funds, which I kind of understand um, now. Um, yeah. Being in trouble. And I think this should be a lesson for everyone. Um, there's this old adage in the Bitcoin world, which is not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And that is even more true today. And I think um, that's another point I'd like to get into afterwards, which is we are going to need easier self-custody solutions. And I think that's probably mm -hmm. on my top priority list for the industry as a whole to uh, to work on. Yeah. Yeah, I think Sequence Wallet is a good candidate there for having pretty good, easy to use tech. You know, it's social sign-on, multi-sig system. 
Yeah. Great one. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> for investors. So you're shilling, you're shilling okay, my yeah. bags. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think sequence is a, is a, I mean, there's, there's probably other good solutions as well, but that's the first one that off the top of my mind that I know is mm-hmm. a pretty good wallet solution that like mm-hmm. tries to solve some of the tech problems and is trying to spread to more games now. And also is one that doesn't require like, you know, browser plugins necessarily. There is one, but it doesn't require it. Like stuff like that's pretty nice. But I mean, you're right. Like if it's too hard to manage your own stuff, then people aren't going to manage their own stuff. They're going to have someone manage their stuff. And unfortunately, I don't think there's like any situation where we make it so easy that everyone manages their own stuff. Like it's just some people just don't resp- want the responsibility even. Uh, and and we get to a point, you know, where like where we do have banks with FDIC insurance and all that kind of stuff in there. There will be a future where it makes sense to go with like a centralized entity to manage your stuff for certain reasons, like regulatory reasons or insurance reasons or, you know, backing up your funds. But like for the average person, yeah, you probably shouldn't be just having your your stuff just chill on an exchange somewhere uh, and kind of following that, not your keys, not your, your crypto kind of maxi. And, <clears throat> we, you know, there's a nice mixed future there, but we're still in the kind of the, the middle of all that right now where everyone's like, got to figure that out the hard way and like figure out like i said that that sort of two path thing instead of you know the maxis being like everything's got to be this way or the government's being like everything's got to be this way like obviously we have to like have both um because like there's not a perfect solution that could accommodate both but it does suck for game companies to like the 2.5 ones to be like i i don't really know what to do to park this money because this money's in crypto because we're like selling stuff in crypto and we don't want to like cash it back out yet and so like yeah, it it is tricky when people can do a lot of fraud things, like you were saying about the um the the proof of reserves, where supposedly Tether even did that. Like that one time they had their big audit, like suddenly there was a bunch of money moved over to their accounts right before the audit to show it, and like the, these kind of shell games that that I mean even real banks play all the time. Like it's it's going to be problematic, and, and I don't know if there's a great solution outside of just harder, sure and harsher regulation. But I don't think, unfortunately, regulation has stopped bad behavior in banking and in finance in general there's still tons of it i mean there's still plenty of wolf of wall street boiler room kind of stuff that happens there's still plenty of bank shenanigans wells fargo gets caught for it all the time it seems like just constantly doing fraudulent things yet they're still allowed to be a bank uh it happens you know douche bank i think had some some pretty shady stuff going on and you name it like they're all doing something shady at some point and so it's like we can't really even solve that problem it's just a matter whether or not they collapse but the problem is when we try and protect them, we end up with the 2008 too big to fail situation where we just bail them out. If we decide like, oh, you know, Chase Morgan's too big to let them fail, we'll just bail them out and let them buy all the smaller banks that, that we did decide not to bail out. I'm still bitter because of Washington Mutual. I <laughs> missed that bank. But uh, it's it's just a, it's a kind of shitty situation when it comes to not managing your own funds. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of wonder if we'll even have like some sort of personalized crypto insurance. Where you can manage your own funds, but have a insurance plan for, you know, if you're hacked or whatever. Uh, I, I doubt they could restore like a board ape NFT or something, but maybe the equivalent value or something based off floor price. I don't know. But I, I do think we that's something we need to start considering. We have other forms of property insurance, like home insurance and, and stuff like that. And, and maybe we need personalized finance insurance as a way to move away from everyone having to use centralized FDIC backed sort of things. And of course, I'm speaking U.S. centric, right? Of course, like I don't know what banking systems like for you, Nico. I'm just familiar with uh, with what we do here. But it's like if that's not truly safe either, like then we need some safety nets for the personal stuff for people, so that a game company that is just kind of up and coming can say, like, we'll manage our own stuff, 
but we'll pick up some personal finance insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the importance of things being on chain, which is, I know a topic Nico loves a lot is there's, there's a, a spectrum from the actual existence of transparency to the feeling of transparency. And I think a lot of regulation is there to provide a feeling of transparency and understanding what's happening. But as long as there are humans in the world, there's going to be loopholes and there's going to be bad actors. And so unless there is true full transparency, which is something interesting about being fully on chain where every action is quite literally available to the public, um, you know, those, those loopholes and bad actors are going to exist and they're going to be able to kind of do their work in the dark. Um, so yeah, like all these, all these problems are absolutely viable today in the, in the traditional financial markets as well. And so I think that's where it's going to be a really interesting regulatory conversation, but I do think that's where being, being fully on chain is, is, you know, most compelling is mm-hmm. you, you can't, you can't skirt around it. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the air actions are in the light and there's nothing you can really do about it. Um, but also the problem we have today. And one of the, one of the interesting things on the gaming side around infrastructure versus content is there is this bare bones infrastructure that needs to exist for people to, to go down that path of full transparency, because, you know, like you mentioned, like MetaMask, so unintuitive for somebody that's new to crypto. So intimidating, honestly, scary to put your first money in there. Um, I'm still, I'm comfortable with it. I'm still scared half the time when I yeah. click things. I have to double check and read them. Make sure it's not a fake MetaMask because I've gotten pretty good with the fake ones. Make sure it's not, not actually authorizing something I don't want it to authorize. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, and, that's a UI so thing that can be improved though. Yeah. And so there's that foundational UI that can be improved and, you know, who, who knows who will be the first player to do it. Um, I mean, I think it, I think it can happen and there's people out there working on it right now, but until that is not only there, but, you know, proven at critical mass to be easy enough for somebody that has never heard of crypto to, to come on and use it. It's just going to be a, a transition process and who, who knows how long it's going to take, but it's, I it's think a the MetaMask SDK will help with that because you can skip a lot of the, the tech side of things and focus on the UI UX side of things. So I hope that gets picked up as more of a thing where people are like, Hey, I don't want to work with all the inferior node communication, all this other stuff. Like I want to let MetaMask handle that, but I want to be able to build the nice UI around it and nice improvement on the, uh, the system. And then they can take advantage of that SDK. Or like I said, you know, alternative wallets like Sequence and ones where they've tried to solve specific tech problems. Now, that, that being said, I don't think Sequence necessarily solves the, the scam sort of situation. But like, you know, it, it has maybe a little bit nicer UI. Uh, but like, we've even seen like ones with nice UIs and stuff like that get hacked, like the Phantom wallet hack, right? Like on mobile, that whole situation that happened with Solana where it's a trusted wallet. It's like a good system. It wasn't Phantom, wasn't necessarily bad. No one was tricked. It's just, it was a code problem on mobile. And like, even those kind of situations, it's like you could be the, the most up-to-date, high-tech crypto person there is and, and et cetera, et cetera, but you get shafted by stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't blame people who are sitting outside of crypto looking at FTX and saying like, wow, I'm, I'm glad I'm not there. Like, it's, it's a natural reaction, like totally understandable. Like, I don't think, I don't think we, can, we can be like, oh, like they're just missing the point. Like, I think today it is risky, right? There are, there are risks today that can be solved and can be addressed by the people that are already building the ecosystem. But, um, I mean, it is a, it is a major validator to the doubters. Um, but it also at least brings back the, the, uh, the path forward and hopefully makes it clear to the people that are building in terms of what actually needs to be done and how you actually have to act to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, 
I mean, I think we're probably all in agreement that it is a headwind and from an adoption standpoint, but yeah, it's not like an insurmountable defeat that FTX is going to bring everything down, but a couple other dominoes probably could if, 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 if just even two or three others followed suit at a similar scale. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're like me, um, and you've been in crypto for a while, the smug you feel when Bitcoin and ETH are at all-time highs, this is now, it's now the turn for all the crypto haters to feel the same smugness, right? It's its a pendulum, right? It goes back and forth and, you know, we'll be back, my friends. So everything will be good, but uh, it might take a while and we might feel um, a bit shitty for a bit, but that's that's part of this journey. Um, to come back, because I, I want to give a little bit extra context with the whole proof of reserve situation. And so what we're seeing now is, you know, people rightfully so are asking exchanges, centralized exchanges for proof of reserves, which is prove that you have, you know, if you have, let's say, $1 billion of customers deposits, prove that you have, you know, $1 billion of worth of crypto on chain to back that up. And so what we've seen is that, for example, crypto.com sent about $400 million worth of ETH to gate.io. Crypto.com is, is an exchange and Gate.io is also an exchange. And and that was around the time that both of them were doing like their proof of reserves and people were like, yo, what the hell is this? And then the CEO of Crypto.com casually is like, oh yeah, um, that was meant to be sent to a cold wallet, but we send it by accident to a whitelisted wallet of another exchange, but we got we got it back. So all good. Um, when, in real, when in reality, they got like 320 million dollars worth back so they were like missing well, a few ten thousand eth which is weird uh we don't have explanation for um and so essentially these proof of reserves are, are snapshots which is like oh at this point in time look at our balance sheet it looks beautiful um and then so what seems to be happening is that exchanges are like sending each other funds because like people because it seems like they're like oh shit we have a hole in our balance sheet can you send us uh, a few million uh, dollars of eth please and then they send it to each other because they're helping each other out because they're bros um, and that is just like, if, if like I would take my money off of crypto.com or, um, gate.io or any of these exchanges doing these things, I think there's proof of reserves, which, which are snapshots, but it feels to me, I would only keep my money on a centralized exchange that has like a permanent auditable on-chain reserve, um, situation going on. I, it's not I a snapshot. Basically. Exactly. So it's just like the whole time, every, like these are all of our wallets. Um, you can keep track and it's all public. You know, if, if a centralized exchange is not doing that, I'll I probably avoid keeping my money on them. Um, I, I guess that's that's uh, my take there. Anyway, there's the a lot problem, of fishy though. stuff going on. Sorry? We need we be, we need better off-ramps so we don't have to use exchanges to do like yeah. ACH transfers to our banks and stuff. Off-ramps? Because that's the... What's that? Why would you off-ramp? You lose. Crystal's back in the Hey, as soon as my landlord starts taking USDC, I'm golden. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, if you're, and if you're a game studio that raised... Five million dollars. You want to make sure that with the with the token crashing, you uh you don't have that's fair one million left yeah. after a year. But, but I just mean like that's that's a big problem, right? There's on ramps that that are can be decentralized to some extent, like but there's but there's no off ramps to yeah. to get stuff out, and that's where like decentralized exchanges have an advantage. And so people maybe not necessarily parking money there, but like maybe leaving money sit to be able to pull out to a bank account in the future or whatever. Uh, and kind of consider it kind of their their bank account essentially, and so that's the problem is that we don't have like a good alternative to that, and I think that kind of impedes 
Because like right now I was thinking about it, I was like, I was like, why do I have any money on any kind of exchanges? Like I don't have any on crypto.com now that you're causing a bank run there, Nico. Uh, and uh, I don't have any, didn't have any on FTX, but I do have one on another exchange because that's where I was getting some, some money from that being paid. And it was like, oh, it was convenient to, because I'd already KYC'd to be able to HCA, ACH transfer stuff out to pay rent or whatever, right? And so those kind of situations where I'm like, because like if I, you know, I, I should transfer more of it to like my, my personal wallet, but at the same time, I'm like, but then like, I have to make sure that I may have to transfer stuff back if I need to get cash out. And, and we, we, you know, then it's like the Bitcoin ATMs and that kind of concept uh, coming back again. And that's, that's one problem we do need to solve, right? Like, I don't want to be trying to use remittance people or something to like solve my cash flow problems mm -hmm. because I don't want to use an exchange and we don't need to go back to Bitcoin local stuff. Right. So, uh, that, that I think is one kind of missing piece we have right now to allow for that sort of full transparency stuff is to be able yeah. to have like a decentralized cash out. And I don't, I don't, you know, thinking about it, I don't, I don't have a great solution for that, like how that could be done, but we have on ramps. So we just need off ramps too. We just need someone willing to buy crypto from us and pay us money for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think um, a centralized exchange with on and off ramps that has a permanent auditable reserve on chain. I think it's probably the closest what we can get right now. If um, you can trust that that's accurate. Yeah. That that, yeah. that on-chain stuff is fully accurate because the problem is they have to do some stuff off-chain. Yeah. Unless someone's auditing their code base. And that, like a, the problem is like the level of stuff you have to audit is a lot of stuff that you're only going to be able to audit if they volunteer or if like the FBI gets involved or something. Like you, Whereas on-chain, no, it's permissionless. That's, that's the point, right? Is doesn't require anyone's permission to audit it. And so like if there's parts of their business off chain, then those are parts of the business that maybe shielded or hidden. Like, you know, the shell games were already seeing played as it is, right? Like that was on chain, but then like people were manipulating it. And I I mean, people are going to pull shady stuff no matter what you do. It's just a matter of what shady stuff you're getting them to pull because of the restrictions that you put around it. Yep. But I mean, hopefully we can avoid some more of this immediate crash as we, we definitely don't need other. That's why I worry about stuff like Tether and stuff like collapsing at some point. Because I don't personally trust that they have the reserves they say they do. Mm -hmm. My um, my next thought, um, trade of thought around this was that what I've seen from a lot of specifically Web two point five companies was, you know, if we want to onboard the masses to Web three gaming, we want to make onboarding as easy as a traditional free to play game. And for that, they're very much a non-decentralization maxi where they're like look you know people don't want to have a wallet people don't care about you know holding their own keys and decentralization they don't care about that um they just want to have nfts and be able to sell them and because of that our solution is going to be you know mostly centralized and custodial where you know either we're using a service provider that holds the private keys of our users or we're doing it ourselves probably even worse idea um and so that's that's kind of a lot of the talk that I've been seeing, which is essentially like for user experience and 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 making you know the user onboarding easier, we're foregoing decentralization. I think what we've seen over the past week is an argument against that, and so I think um, you know from like I I strongly feel like even more um, personal pushback against that line of thinking, and so the way I now look at it is that I think one of the things that we need most in the Web3 gaming space is a, a maybe hybrid approach to, you know, decentralization and custody, where I think 
the problem that we have in the industry today is you are either fully decentralized or you're fully centralized and, you know, someone else has your keys. And I think what we'll see evolve over the next, you know, months and years is a kind of you know, a range in between where it's more gray, where it's, you know, for example, the sequence wallet, right? The sequence wallet is a smart contract wallet, which because it's, there's no one key pair, there's multiple keys. Um, it, it makes, you know, the user experience much better. And I think we'll see more and more of these solutions um, pop up. And I think, you know, this is going to be probably like the, the next big unlock for the, the, the onboarding where it's still decentralized and, you know, the company can still not take away at its own whim um, whatever NFTs or, or tokens you hold. Um, you have control, but there's some kind of like, if you lose your phone, you don't lose everything essentially. And you don't have to like, when you're on board, write down 24 words on a piece of paper and put it in a, put it in a, a, um, a safe somewhere. Um, I, I know that account abstraction is one solution there. Um, and I don't want to go into in it too deeply because I don't understand it well enough, but that is something I'd like to have a, a forecast about in the future. I know one person, um, his name is Lord of a few and, um, he's building on Starknet and Starknet has built in account abstraction and that supposedly solves a shit ton of problems around, you know, user experience and, and easy of ease of use. I think of this stuff a lot like, um, internet infrastructure. The way we built up the internet mm -hmm. infrastructure, remember when it was hard to use the internet, both from the dial-up standpoint and just browsing the internet and stuff like that. And everyone kind of like built up different solutions. You had like Yahoo trying to do its way of making the internet easily more approachable. You had AOL's way. And like, but eventually people always used some sort of centralized gateway to get in, despite the fact that the internet is like completely decentralized in theory, right? But everyone uses these centralized mechanisms to get on, unfortunately, even as easy as you make it, people even consider like stuff like Facebook or Twitter, like their gateway into the internet, even though like the internet's way more than these few platforms, people kind of funnel through them. And as much as we would love to say, everyone just go back to like web rings and, and FTPs and Gopher and all these other things that we like built out to be decentralized. Unfortunately, people trended, trended towards the AOL style of internet um, because people just want to do whatever they want to do and they don't want to, they don't want to hang ups from the tech. So Sorry, Phil, I, I think I cut you off. I just want to no, say I mean, Yeah, I was going to say, I think that that's what's been most interesting to me about like the Web 2.5 approach is honestly just like speed of abstraction in, in terms of getting the, the blockchain elements of gaming abstracted fastest. Um, so like build a good game, have on-chain features, but also just make it so that if I'm somebody that doesn't know anything about blockchain, I can come in, play the game, enjoy the benefits and live happily ever after. Um, and it seems like, you know, there's, there's the benefits we've talked about to being fully on chain, fully, you know, the web 3.0 model. Um, but I think it'll take a little longer for that to be done well. And that's not a problem. You know, like Devin's mentioned the evolution of the internet, like this doesn't have to happen over the next 12, 18 months for it to be a success. Um, I think that some of these web 2.5 platforms might be a faster gateway to get users bought in. Um, and then that can be taken to the next level with, with additional on-chain features and, and just being, you know, more on-chain in general. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge person on like decentralization uh, and legacy governments and, and all of that and like the ethos of it all. Um, but I do, I do buy into better user experiences and I think there's, there's opportunities for blockchain to do that. And I think I'll, I'll always be a fan of whatever does that most effectively and hopefully the sooner the better, but that's, that's the, I guess maybe the VC way of thinking, but, but yeah.
it, it makes me think of um like going back to like the internet thing but also like games related uh game multiplayer networking stuff like the way that kind of evolved right like it was it reminds me a lot of this kind of like techie early adopter thing like i remember having to set up ipx spx troubleshooting stuff in windows and like networking with term like land cables with terminators and coax and like and that evolved into like hubs and, and whatever and then evolved like the null modem stuff and like we had these different like technological leaps that made some things easier and then at some point we we got into this period where like okay cool we have like uh cali or these other things that like uh, or like game spy and stuff that make like finding other people's games and stuff easier that were like semi-centralized services but at the end of the day like as much as we liked kind of rolling our own sort of thing we end up kind of relying on the centralized ones where like games started going away from even having server browsers like we stopped letting people kind of choose how they connected to the game servers and connect to each other and like it became automated or even like when there is server browsers uh in games now that it's still like sort of a centralized thing going through the game server that has to like process all those and go through that and i think we we've kind of unfortunately we trend away from and the nice thing is we still have things right like it you don't you don't just completely shun the hardcore out to the wasteland we still have like hardcore stuff but like the the masses are still going to like kind of end up in that sort of centralized area like they're not going to manage their own wallet no matter how easy you make it at the end of the day right like we don't we don't keep money under our mattress we put it in our bank account like same kind of thing it's just the the hardcore people will stay hardcore which is cool and there'll still be stuff for hardcore people but but every technology trend has shown people go towards centralization if someone makes it easy enough for them uh, to do that way, because they that's one less thing on their mind. That's one less thing to worry about. That's one less thing they have to deal with until they, you know, until, you know, the crashes happen. And that's, you know, everyone gets the reality check. And that's that happens like what, every 10 years at this point in in the, you know, the economic world outside of games. And it's unfortunately a cycle we're not really going to escape. But I do hope that we consider like the hardcore people like us that like want to have this stuff continue to push for it to exist. Like, I'm glad Linux still exists, right? Like, we could have all been relegated to Mac OS and Windows, but there was enough hardcore people to be like, no, dude, Linux needs to still exist. And there's still people like, you know, pushing Gopher and like, you know, like new, like news groups and other weird, like obscure internet tech still as a thing. Like, I still could find BBSs occasionally that have been modernized and stuff like that because there's still enough people around. But I think we have to do kind of like abdicate the, the masses to like, you know, they're probably going to go to a centralized thing. And we need to, I guess, do what we can to try and help protect that from destroying all of our stuff too. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something interesting that Nico and I both constantly have to deal with is like a lot of times hardcore can be um, synonymized with like niche um, in, in the, the venture world. And for us, that is most of the time not really good enough, I would say, in terms of the returns that we have to chase. And so, especially in the early stages of Web3, um, some of the really cool tech may be in that niche or hardcore category for the you know for at least the like on-chain future yeah for, for the foreseeable future and, and that doesn't mean that they will stay that way but you know it's seeing around the corner of what's the actual first full-scale opportunity coming out of this um and unfortunately like we can't we can't necessarily just go after something because it's the cool hardcore tech that we personally find really interesting um it has to kind of take that take that next step or have the opportunity to take that next step and Right now, we're in a time in the market where there there haven't been many players that have been able to separate themselves like that. Um, and we've seen most of the players that have gotten to the valuations that we'd like to see them get to pull back hard because they hadn't actually achieved what the valuation implied they had. Um, 
And so that's, again, something, something that, that'll constantly be balanced and I think will be a big part of the Web 2.5 versus 3.0 argument in the VC world for the next year or two. Oh, yeah, I bet. Mm -hmm. Whenever we see these, you know, busts, um, it always reminds me of this or, you know, there's a shit ton of value creation within this world. And then it seems like right now there's a ton of value destruction, as in suddenly, you know, the global crypto market gap went down by a hundred million or something. And so there's just constantly this wave and it's, it, it tends to trend upward over time of value creation and value destruction. And I'm always asking myself, okay, who's making money here, right? Who just made money in this, in this recent boom uh, and through this bust? And it seems to me when a lot of capital flows into this, um, into the space, which essentially happened over the past, let's say, one and a half years, right? Over the past one and a half years, the amount of money that either was invested into Web3 games or should be invested into Web3 games has exploded into the tens of billions, maybe even. Um, I'm always asking myself, well, who's making money here, right? And whenever, you know, we see a bus like this, it's 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 not really the, the companies and the projects that got investments because, you know, their treasuries, especially if they held them in ETH or, or any other you know, um, be like beta currency um, went down in value. And so it seems to me like the ones who are profiting most from this are kind of service providers that facilitate the, um, the, the facilitate the money inflow for certain players. And so here I'm thinking about, um, you know, advisors and consultants and, 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 you know, platforms that help with these things. And, and so Devin and I, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this is because Devin and I we were talking before this, he's a consultant, he's doing a fantastic job. He's making some good money. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of money going to, um, consultants. Sorry, Devin, like I'm, I'm not picking you out here, but I think, no, you know, like right now people haven't figured stuff out. So now's the exactly. time when consultants are valuable. And then once people figure everything out they could just copy and paste, then they probably don't need it as much. And they, and they just yeah. need it when stuff's not working. It's yeah. uh, more like plumbers at that point. Yeah. And so because there's so much hype and there's so much, cap so much capital inflow, um, people are like, you know, we want to do this right. And the uh, elasticity of demand, you know, or the, the price elasticity is very low um, because the, you know, the, the willingness to pay is very high because, you know, there's enough money. And there's, there's not enough talent and, and knowledge. And that's why I think, you know, consultants and, and, and these kind of platforms that help you figure shit out, essentially, I think are the ones that actually like made the biggest amount of money over the past, uh, past years on average. I mean, to be fair, I'm not, I'm not crying so much about a mm -hmm. lot of these things because they're not directly affecting me as much. Um, because what I provide, I think is valuable and will still be valuable for a period of time. And I think, like you said, the talent pool is low enough that it's like, it's it's a valuable resource. You can't just be like, ah, no, nah, I don't need it. I'll just wing it. Like, it's a bad idea. Like, I mean, you can go for it. Like, you can, you know, be in the, uh, the the heap of games that have gotten funded and then burned through all their funding and not done anything successfully. Like, cool, like, go for that. But at the end of the day, like, we're in kind of a certain phase right now, right, where people that at least understand the space well and, and know how to help push things forward, even if it's not like a guaranteed solution, are valuable and, and rarer. Um, but, it, you know, at some point, that, that phase will shift, I think, you know, like, Mobile has been an interesting example that where people didn't really figure stuff out at first. Everyone was kind of like scrambling to figure out mobile. And then people kind of figured out something that worked pretty well. And then like uh, it became hyper competitive. And then people kind of needed consultants again to come back in and be like, okay, well, help us figure out how to outcompete our opponent now because like the market's too competitive. So like there might be another swing back in the phase where 
Uh, people are like, okay, we're, we're copying what everyone else is doing, but now that means we're competing with everyone else too because because we're copying the same solutions they are. Please help us give, a, give us a small edge over that copy and paste solution. Mm-hmm. But one thing I was thinking about too while you guys were talking that um, I think could be interesting for the flow of money back into games. So, uh, so I have a theory that we will see Ethereum and Bitcoin and all that stuff go back up quite a lot in the near-term future. And of course, this is not investment advice. I am not a financial wizard of any kind. He does no shit. Um, yeah, I don't know shit. Like, exactly. That's why you two are here to outnumber me and uh, you know my idea. <laughs> we don't but, know uh, shit either. Yeah, it's true. That's why, that's why you sign the check, not uh, get them as much. No, but uh, but basically, the, the, the thing is like, uh, we've had some pretty huge crypto bubbles before from outflow from China, from, from the capital outflow, trying to get around like a lot of restrictions because the way the banking system works in China with the central bank and exchanging between currencies and stuff like that. So we had this huge outflow where China was trying to basically dump all the dollars we gave them to invest and get that out instead of converting it to yuan so that they could hide it more from the government. And so they invested in like, they were buying real estate over here, buying all kinds of industries, doing all kinds of stuff, but also like sending a lot of stuff out through crypto and creating a huge bubble there. And, uh, and some of that's probably going to get cracked down on. But basically the, the thing is now that the president, you know, got made, you know, sort of semi-dictator for life or whatever you want to consider it uh, at this point. And, you know, it's kind of renewed his, uh, his lease on power. He's looking to crack down on the rich and a lot of the, the people with tons of money. So I expect, again, another huge capital outflow. And one of the things that seems to be okay for capital outflow is buying things, like buying game companies, buying companies and stuff like that. Funding things is one way that's like okay to send money out as a way to kind of get it out of the system so that like the government can't come after it. And so I do wonder if like we could see even like a capital outflow into games where if you're, if you're funding a game company using crypto in a way that like makes it look legit to the Chinese government, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just funding them through crypto because that's, you know, an international payment system now. And like as a way to kind of like dodge stuff, that we could see more capital outflow from Chinese uh, investors investing in crypto game, Web3 games. Like they're already done a ton of investment in like traditional game studios. It would be interesting to see if we get another wave where maybe the VCs are, are like calming down on games and going to infrastructure, but maybe the Chinese are like, hey, we have all this money we need to get out of our country. Let, let us uh, fund your game studio and, and promise ourselves a bunch of returns in crypto so that it doesn't have to come back through the Chinese banks. Just an idea. Devin, it's actually really funny thinking about when, when you were talking there, that even calling it crypto moving forward is such a disservice to what you know, <laughs> these digital currencies are in a lot of ways where crypto sounds so stealthy and complex, but when you talk about it as like an international uh, exchange of currency or just like a digital currency, right? Um, I think there's some there's some rebranding that'll happen ultra, over time ultra with mass adoption. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't see our, our future viable international currency just being called like crypto cryptocurrency it just call it digital so, uh, currency right it's, it's, yeah exactly so i think i don't know I, I think that's a shift we'll continue to see as well just like hopefully <laughs> blockchain crypto gaming, just hopefully like blockchain gaming ceases to exist as well eventually right, right? The, the, the phrase um blockchain gaming at least uh, that's why i like web3 so, yeah. it sounds a little more uh like a progression of the of the existing evolutionary line instead of yeah. some new technology we're trying to shoehorn in and eventually just yeah. gaming was yeah. what we all want it to be so it's, it's, it's just it'll be interesting to see it evolve on from a just like a nomenclature standpoint i don't yeah. know free to play is still pretty heavily around as a as a uh as a term despite that the sounds fact great that right it's well it's integrated free. yeah free. i can't wait for free to own you know yeah that's why i've, I've been pushing for like a, a more of a, a definition within the fog now to, to like you know have the taxonomy of of 
crypto games and, and everything, um, or at least maybe like a list of all of these words that are important because one, mm -hmm. as you say, crypto is one sounds fishy at this point. And also some people are like, yo, we don't do crypto, but we have NFTs. And I'm like, um, okay. So, you know, or we don't do tokens because we, but we have NFTs and I'm like, uh, you know what that T stands for, right? Um, <laughs> and then, yeah. So, um, fully agree. We need more clarity around these things. Um, we need to get rid of the word GameFi because uh, it's still shit. Oh, gives me shivers. It's just not, mm. not getting better for me at this nope. point. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. And, um, yeah. Um, let's see what happens. I think, um. Good. I think we've we've talked enough about you know the whole the whole um, SB SBF FTX debacle. By the way, pretty funny. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I noticed that within the same sentence, we used like SBF FTX CZ, um, and then all of these you know uh, shorthands, and you know there were no, some non crypto natives in the room, and they were like, "What the hell are you guys even talking about? <laughs> and and what's that drugs that you're the the, the drugs you're, you're talking about?" Um, so anyway, um, I will say the, the thing about thing around CZ was really interesting where from a strategic standpoint, exposing, um, exposing FTX weaknesses, saying you're going to acquire them, pulling out because the financials were just so ungodly bad. Um, it was almost like a way of acquiring all of their users without paying a dime for, for the company where, mm -hmm. you know, everyone's kind of, a lot of those users are probably going to flock to Binance in the future when, when they have their, um, their digital currency needs. So yeah. it was, it was kind I'd of a crazy that? mental game where like yeah. they didn't have to put a dollar forward, but they got the effect of, I mean, they got a lot of the effect of acquiring FTX for, you know, whatever, whatever mm -hmm. would have been the price. You know, I never trusted the accuser though. They're almost always guilty of the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. at the end of the day, I'd be just as suspicious of Binance for being on the benefiting side of that. And for mm -hmm. like, they didn't directly accuse, but they, they started it like, and so like, I wouldn't trust them either. Like, Every time I see like a politician or anyone in, in power, like accusing someone of something, it's almost always because they're doing it. And half the time, the person they're accusing isn't even the one doing it. It's like this weird form of projection that people just do constantly. So like mm -hmm. now I trust Binance less than FTX almost because yeah. like, well, no like what are you doing? Yeah, there's no way to know if that, right. what they're doing is, is what they're is what Binance is doing. So right that's the so, that's the game keep, i guess we're all playing and don't don't keep a whole bunch of money on binance you know and that is the importance of transparency out. yeah <laughs> so yeah and that's why we're in this shit yeah because yeah. <laughs> by the way like a, a few months ago an article came out with sbf and he was like um i am sure that a large number of exchanges are actually secretly insolvent that's how he's People sure like, oh, he knows yeah, how exactly <laughs> so you're 100 correct so um yeah i would say you know centralized exchanges probably in the best not the best way to store a significant chunk of your net worth um nope use the exchange part of the word you exchange things and then get out exactly um and yeah there, there's a word it's like self-custody hygiene or something like practice that shit you know get yourself a hard uh hardware wallet Create 600 wallets yeah um i'm still looking for like a very very easy solution for myself because i have a bunch of ledgers that i'm using and I'm, i don't know which one is which and it, it's it's kind of annoying but um yeah, probably probably worth um, taking some time to figure out, at least if uh, if you're really into this space. Just don't get into the buried gold in your backyard phase of things. Dude, um, Bitcoin maxis. I <laughs> I just like, there was there was this guy hating on on like CZ, SBF and, and Vitalik as well. Um, and at this point, Bitcoin maxis are like the vegans of the crypto space, you know? Oh, yeah. They're oh, like, God. <laughs> That's a God. great way to put it. 
Ugh, um, terrible. But um, and and so these are also it seems like Bitcoin maxis are the guys who are like you know you only need to eat meat and they're also like the freaking um, deniers of the the global warming and stuff. It's it's <laughs> it's really weird. This this tribe and well, I'm, they're the ones I, causing I like it. Bitcoin, so. Sorry, they're the ones causing global warming. Remember, <laughs> yeah, the exactly. only proof of work left. Yeah, exactly. It's um, anyway. Good. All right, let's end this here. I think the takeaways are: um, if you're a games project, uh, probably keep your money um, and, and treasury off of centralized exchanges. As an individual, the same thing. Use them for on and off boarding. Um, practice key hygiene or whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah, I would say good luck because the next months are probably going to be pretty bad. I, I think um, you know the overall crypto markets. Uh, I, I think this has lengthened the bear market that we were in by a significant amount. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a while until we can feel smug smug again. Um, be prepared for all of your friends that told you that crypto is a scam. Um, to you know feel smug for a bit, um, indulge them. They'll be wrong. They'll be proven wrong in the long term. So um, just build. I'd say. Yeah, I'm expecting it to go back up uh, sooner than people think. I think. Um, don't listen shown to a lot of. Was that? Listen to don't listen. Yeah, to don't Devin. don't listen. To me. We don't actually make financial decisions. Just watch no. the charts and see if it happens or not. Because I think. I think there's a lot more um, like like robustness to the crypto economy, despite these like the short term spikes, than people want to give it credit for, and act like every time there's a crash, everyone's going to freak out and decide crypto's not good anymore and leave. And I, I, people don't want to leave that are in crypto. That's that's the thing is once they're in, people don't want to leave unless they're completely burned out of all of their money. Like these people keep you know coming back to the horse track. They can't they can't help it. So mm. I think I think that robustness. Uh, and continuing to expand the number of people red pilled as, as people like to put it uh, is just going to continue to grow it and i think long-term prospects stay very strong even in a near short term because of that i think uh you with the the macroeconomic situation is going to get significantly worse and uh, i don't know if people will turn to crypto right away but i think down the road we'll see some some push into there i mean i don't know how much gold is a safe haven anymore these days and Stuff like that. So I don't know. We'll see. Like, I don't know. Just want to throw a little last uh, final prediction out there because you like those wild final predictions. That's true. Okay. Good. Um, thanks, Evan. Thanks, Phil. This was uh, this was great. And um, yeah, I, I think we'll probably have some more updates about the, the whole saga over the next weeks and, and probably months as well. Um, yep. Listener, appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, give us a thumbs up if you liked it. Same on the podcast app that you're using. And uh, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Ciao.